Welcome to the Simpler Business Podcast, where we talk about ways to do what you love and serve your people in a way that brings you income and freedom. I'm your host, Marissa Roberts. Join me as I chat with my favorite entrepreneurs about how they simplify their biz so that you can simplify yours. In the world of online business, many entrepreneurs are constantly on the hunt for the perfect product or service to offer, and high-ticket offers seem to be the recommendation of many coaches. These are high-priced products or services that typically require a significant investment from the customer, typically thousands, and this can create a significant income stream for the business owner, but while they certainly can be lucrative, they can also be trickier to sell. The alternative option is a low-ticket offer, a product or service priced at a lower level, typically ranging from a few dollars to a few hundred dollars, and these can be anything from digital products to coaching sessions or services. It's an easier yes for your customer, but can it provide you the same level of revenue as a high ticket offer? I am so excited to introduce my guest today, Mickey Kennedy from e-releases. He's going to share his experience with low ticket offers, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what he has to say. A little background on Mickey, he founded e-releases 24 years ago to help small businesses, authors, and startups increase their visibility and credibility through affordable press release marketing. Previously, he'd been working at a PR company when a small business owner called saying to Mickey, we won an award and I want to send out one press release. I've called all the PR firms in the Yellow Pages and they all have a minimum starting price of $20,000. Can you help me? Mickey saw an opportunity to help and e-releases was born, providing a press release service option that was much more affordable for small businesses. Mickey, welcome. Thank you for being on the show. I'm excited to have you here. Oh, excited to be here. It's going to be so interesting to find out your experience with low ticket offers because I tend to find, especially over the last five years or so, everything seems to be high ticket, high ticket, high ticket, know your worth, charge your worth, you need less clients, you'll have less work and you'll get more money. But I feel like when you go high ticket, you're really narrowing down the amount of people that could potentially want to work with you. So to have somebody say, look, you can be successful with lower ticket offers, that is really interesting to me because I feel like that would take a lot of pressure off the sales process for people. It might be a slightly easier conversion. Have you found that in your experience? I have. Um, For example, we don't have any salespeople. There's no sales force at all. We haven't needed it uh, or never needed it. Um, we we tested having a salesperson and our customers just were put off by it. They're just like, we'd rather have more consultative customer service people who are just helping us through the process, not motivated by money or conversions or anything like that. Yeah. So they just buy directly off the website. It's just nice and simple and smooth that way. Right. And most of our customers come from just referrals, people telling other people that, hey, I've had good experiences working with e-releases and to give them a try with your next press release. Oh, that is a really good sign. That's how you know you're providing a really good level of service as well. Yeah. That's a big compliment in itself, isn't it? Absolutely. So with your business then, how did you go in terms of growing it? Did everything kind of snowball immediately or did you have any difficulties growing your business with a lower ticket offer? Yes, because it's easy to outspend the lifetime value of a customer 
if you get really competitive with some of the click bidding. Uh, and uh, so it, it it is a little tricky given that I can't compete against a PR firm that might be you know, looking at twenty to fifty thousand dollar campaigns as far as you know, signing up a client, uh, they can afford to spend two thousand dollars to acquire a customer. I, I can't afford that. So um for that reason, the the keywords I bid on and other things, strategies that I have are a little bit uh further down the rungs of of, of how much it costs to to bring someone on board. Did you find it similar in the way that once you locked in a process, you just repeated the process again and again, or did you have to wing it for a while before you figured out what worked? I winged it for a while, and then I'm I'm not coming from a marketing background. Uh, I didn't know. I, I, I used a paid advertising on Google when it came out. I'd previously used, I think, Overture or GoTo.com, which was the first pay-per-click search uh uh, engine. And when uh, Google launched, I, I I jumped to it and I just didn't know what I was doing. I would put an ad up, get seven clicks and say, eh, I don't know. And then I'd change it. And then finally, I, I started following some marketing people and they were like, you really can't do anything until you have statistical relevance, you know, with campaigns. And so I, I started to approach things more analytically and, you know, looking at the number of conversions and comparing them and realizing that I have st- statistical significance, that there's an improvement. And uh, I, I just really took to a duck to water with A-B split testing, you know, making yeah. one little major change on a website and comparing, is this better than the other page? And if so, you know, you have a new winner and, you know, what's another um, hypothesis that you can put on the page that you want to test out? I think that would be fun too, because, well, if you're a person that likes puzzles, that would be fun, mm-hmm. right? You get to be right. a bit creative and experiment a little bit. Well, tell me a bit more about the tools you use, because I have no experience with any anything like that at all. My business is all about, I mean, yeah, it was word of mouth, but mine was all based on social media marketing, which is fun, but man, it's a slow journey to do it that way. Sure. So um, I, I I still use uh, Google paid advertising. Um, I don't use Facebook paid advertising mainly because I got cut off during the pandemic, oh. and that was very frustrating. That I think it was because they didn't have staff in office, so it was just like the ability to appeal it and get the account back on. It just never happened. They get locked permanently after six months, so oh. I just sort of abandoned Facebook. I wasn't making money at it, so it saved me money <laughs> moving beyond Facebook, but uh. I have an affiliate program where I pay what works out to be about half of the uh, first customer purchase for a new customer that comes on board. I give that to the customer. I lose money on that first transaction, but you know, I'm, I'm looking at the longer term value of bringing this person on and that they'll use this again uh, more likely down the road. Yeah, and, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's pretty much it. I also do a lot of education where I go on podcasts like this and I talk about some of the uh, you know, ins and outs of press release marketing, some of the things that work, some of the things that don't work. And um I, I just find I, I do a lot of things. I've been blogging for 15, 17 years. So, you know, it, I just I just keep trying all the different things, knowing that they're all, you know interacting with people and i'm not sure all all the different routes that people you know encounter the e-releases brand but i know a lot of people do and they do come on board 
I like how you've got more than one strategy so that if one changes, you don't lose everything in one go. Because I remember blogging. I started blogging back in 2009 and the blogosphere back then, oh man, it just blew up within two or three years. And then now it's kind of like, it's it's still there. I still blog every week, but it's more for staying up to date and SEO and that sort of thing. I find more less people go to my blog now. More people are on social media or my email list, really. So if I had have only been blogging, I would have been like, what am I going to do now? Sure. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned email marketing. That's also you know something that we do. Um, you know, touching our customer through email uh, still seems to work really well. And I suppose if it's working well, why change it? Right? Why wait? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody says, you know, I haven't jumped on texting, but I've been told that that's a great way to interact with customers. So that's something to consider down the road. Yeah, that would be interesting. I haven't tried texting yet either, but as a consumer, I've had texts come through um, from businesses and some have been bad. They just feel like cold pictures. Like I'm like, you know, I, I, I went to you five years ago. I haven't heard from you since. And now you're texting me, but others the when they nail that sort of warm and friendly but not pushy sort of in a text, which I think would be hard because you only get a few words to do it in. But if right. you do it well, it does work really well. So it's certainly influenced a few of my purchases. Right. <laughs> so you do Google paid advertising. You've got an affiliate program for e-releases. That's right. Right. And then podcasting. Yeah, I'm a big fan of podcasting to get to raise your visibility and awareness because I think podcasting is a really good way for people to get to know the face behind the business, right? It's not just a website anymore. You actually, I find podcasting builds that trust with people really easily because you get to just be yourself, but it's one-to-many instead of one-on-one conversations. So that's really helpful. And what about managing the workload or do you have many other people working for you? How do you go in terms of managing? Right. So I have six editors and one managing editor. Uh, There's an assistant and uh, we also have a project manager and uh, it's uh, uh, freelancers beyond that for writing and things like that. So it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a decent amount of people, but uh, I am only involved in the marketing from a day to day. I'm not in the office with the editors or anything like that. And that's, uh, there's a there's a, a long story there, but basically in April of 2015, I walked away from the day-to-day operations of the business just to uh, solve my problem of uh, heavy turnover. I was mm-hmm. losing I was losing employees on average one you know they would stay for a year, and um, I I had a friend who was an HR consultant in a marketing mastermind I was in, and I'd complained for two or three years about how bad my staff was and they're always leaving. And so she said, I'll interview your customers, I'll interview your staff, I'll figure out what's wrong. And she came back and said, it's you, you are a micromanager. Uh, Uh A lot of entrepreneurs are, you want everything perfect. They never feel like they do anything good enough. And you're just over their shoulder constantly. And it's, they were right. And so I tried to get better for a couple of weeks and I couldn't. So I just said, I'm leaving the office and uh, we have a much healthier relationship. And almost everybody that was there minus one person is still there uh, from 2015. So uh, I was, I was the problem. So (laughs) I got out of the way. That's really good that you did that though, because as an entrepreneur myself, I know my ego gets in my way a lot. And I feel like nobody loves my business as much as I love my business or nobody's as emotionally invested in my business as I am. So I find that hard to let go too. Like I'll always think I want 
other contractors, freelancers, I want their work to still feel like me when it goes out there. And yeah, I, I find that difficult too. So did you find that the quality of work continued once you removed yourself from the office? Yes. Customer service seems to be really well. My customers liked my employees that before they, they still like it and have good uh, experiences. And, uh, you know, no one's ever going to answer the questions the same way you as the entrepreneur are, and you just have to be okay with that, but they're going to, you know, the things will be answered and they'll, nobody be told wrong information. Uh, they just will be told in a way that me as a marketer, uh, it's not the preferred way. Yeah. And I suppose if they have a different way of doing it, they're going to reach a new group of people that connects with their way, right? That if sure. I was doing it all myself, I'd appeal to like one, maybe one type of audience. But if I've got four on my staff working with people, yeah, because they're all going to have different life experiences, different connection points, different things in common with the people they're talking to. So really that diversity probably does us a lot of favors really in the long run. I think so. I really do. I would love to know, imagine you had somebody come to you and they were just starting their business and they were like, I love what I do, but I don't know how to create a successful business around it yet. Given your experience, because you've got what 14 years in the business, uh, 20, 24. 24. Oh yeah. my gosh, 24 years. in. So you have seen a lot in your time and kept up with the changes in technology and what's happening in the world as well. So what would you recommend to a new company or a smaller company that wants to grow? What do you think would be your top points that you would share with them? I would think uh, really know what your USP is. What what and, and by USP, unique selling proposition. What is it that you do that's different than everybody else? Because uh, if you don't have that nailed down or you don't have one, it's an opportunity to create one because you're going to need one. I, I, I really believe that if you're even if you're selling a widget that other people sell, you have to sell it in a way that's a little bit different. What's the, is it the user experience? Is it the education uh, as well as the product? Or is it, you know, something else like, you know, the ease of shipment or something. Uh, and once you've nailed that down, you, you want to own it and sort of try to build a moat around it and protect it in the marketplace. So uh, it is a differentiator that your customers know and that they can appreciate working with you. So that way you stand out from other people in your field. Do you think it's hard to do that? Because I remember trying to settle on an ideal client avatar when I started my business and I felt like that's a little bit different. It's more about them than it is about me, but I felt like I was narrowing down too much. So when I think unique selling proposition, I think what if I make, what if I pigeonhole myself too much? Is there a risk of that or is it more like, no, people are going to know they're at the right person, the narrower I go. What have you found? I think so. I think for me, like one of my unique selling propositions is to provide as much value as possible to to small businesses and entrepreneurs and startups. Um, and so when PR Newswire years ago reached out to me and said, in addition to your email distribution, you should also include us. Uh, I, I pushed back and said, you guys charge $1,500 to move a press release out nationally. My customers could never afford that. And, you know, they kept coming back and trying to work with us. And we finally found a way in which we could. Uh, but, you know, my rate is about a third of that uh, on average. And so, and my customers get 
a national distribution over the wire. So it's like an unprecedented value. There's nobody else out there that's offering a PR Newswire distribution for, you know, under $500. And yet you get that through us. And I think that that value, uh, you know, and I've had to fight for it uh, to get it and to show that, you know, uh, as a collective, we really represent a lot of buyers and a lot of buying power. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the Newswire, they bought into it and, you know, now I send them in excess of a million dollars a year. So it's worked out really well for them. Uh, you it was know, worth it. It was. So that shows you the value of a co-op of small businesses uh, at working together that you can achieve really amazing savings, you know, working, uh, you know, getting service that normally only like a Fortune 5000 type company could afford. Yeah. Yeah. Jay, you must have had to really... Like make sure you were nice and confident when you were going back and forth with them because I imagine that would have been a very, I I would feel very like um out of my depth if I started that kind of conversation because you great. think, oh, I don't want to lose everything, but I also don't want to not get a great deal out of this. So, yeah. Great. Did you find you had to release kind of your emotional attachment to the outcome? Or? Yes, I, I had to be okay with them. Um, just walking away um, because if it doesn't make financial sense for my customers, there's no way I can build a business around it. And I thought that the value was rather than offer it as an add-on for say, you know, $700 uh, that, you know, I could make it that if all of my customers receive it, could we get the price down to closer to $150 yeah. and for them selling a product for 1500 and willing to take $150, you know, that's a big stretch for them as well. Uh, but, you know, I, I, you know, if you looked at my customer base, they're doing two to three releases a year, they're spending, you know, under $500 for each. And the newswire just realizes that, you know, the, the economies that I'm working with are never going to be able to afford a full price release and the likelihood of them buying my service for a couple hundred dollars and adding on a 700 or $800 option just is very unlikely. So, so, uh, we, we made it work. I mean, there was a lot of back and forth because they just said from a labor standpoint, they didn't feel that they could make that price point work. And I learned a little bit more about them. They invited me to their offices and then, uh, they mentioned that they had an overnight editorial and they said they're not very busy, but they have to be there in case there's breaking news or a recall, or they have to get news to say at the Asian market or something like that. And I'm like, well, what if I scheduled my releases for next business day and your overnight team could set them up and it would cost you no additional labor because they're idle for many, many hours overnight. So that was one of the ways that tipped it in the favor of, of making it work between us. And it's been a really good partnership. We do have companies that come to us that are large companies and I send them directly to the wire like, you know, because they're a better fit. So I, I'm, I've been a good partner from that standpoint is like when we get people that are a good fit to working directly with the wire that we pass them along and make sure they're being handled well. Yeah. That sounds like the perfect way to collaborate with somebody too is I love that story where you, it's like you found a solution and because you got to know them better, because you didn't brush them off at their first no and just go, well, fine, you know, we're not, we're not compatible. Like that, that whole thing about how can we work together rather than we can't work together. That's such a powerful thing. And I think as entrepreneurs, we tend to not shut down opportunities, but 
not realize opportunities can work for us if we're just a little bit more flexible or we ask a few more little questions, what can come out of that? Right. Absolutely. And I hope you don't mind me asking, but you've scaled your business to multiple seven figures. And I know for a lot of my listeners who are in their first, say, one to three years of their business, particularly the ones who might be doing a service that they consider low ticket and think, I'm going to hit a ceiling on how much I can earn based on how much I can work and I don't want to price too much in case I don't get enough clients. All of those normal sort of fears that come up when you're first starting your business. Now, did you know at the start of your business that you had the potential to grow it so big to that multiple seven figures or did it just kind of build up over time and you realized, oh, this could be bigger than I thought? How did you go into it? It, it built up slowly over time. Uh, I wasn't able to take any money out of the business for like three or four years. Uh, mm-hmm. I was fortunate that I had started e-releases with a consumer newsletter business at the same time. And they were both email driven because uh, I started by just emailing journalists and um, it was sort of an email platform, so to speak. And I was doing consumer newsletters and then uh, that was paying the bills. And then the dot-com crash happened oh. and all of the consumer newsletter revenue just vanished uh, overnight within a three month period. It went from 50,000 a month to zero and oh. e-releases went up a little bit. And uh, that was, I was like, huh. So I just focused a little bit more on e-releases at that time and uh, just continued to grow it. And, uh, you know, eventually it started to provide money, but I I can't remember how long it took me, like maybe 10 years to get a million dollars. And, and then probably another 10 years to hit 5 million. And uh, last year we hit 6 million. So yeah, we've been growing uh, mostly, you know, steadily, there's been, you know, a little bit of movement, uh, but we've done very well during times of recessions or uncertainty, because I think at those times, companies like to rally together and issue announcements. Like during the pandemic, it was, here's our pivot, and this is what we're doing. During the dot-com crash, it was uh, a lot of businesses just trying to uh, differentiate themselves in a crowded marketplace. And during the uh, real estate crash, uh, for whatever reason, a lot of people did press releases. And I think that what is happening is when there's economic uncertainty, people start, uh, they cut off their ad campaigns and they're like, what else could I do that would be lower cost that I haven't considered in the past? And a lot of people are like, oh, I've always been told to do press releases. They're not very expensive, but it takes a lot of time and energy. And I feel like when they've shut down the ad campaign, they've got the time and the energy to now devote to building on a PR campaign of a, a series of press releases to issue to the media. And yeah. uh, I find that those are some of my best customers who come in during recessions because they they, they keep feeding it afterwards because they see they see it working. So it's like they felt like they had to start it and then they realized it was actually a really good option. So they don't want to let it go now. And I think that once you start it, you realize this isn't as difficult as it seems. It's not as daunting as it seems. And I can actually put this into my process uh, so that I'm doing one of these every two or three months. So it's much more doable than they originally think it's going to be. Right. Yeah. Mickey, it seems like have- a 20-page essay assignment <laughs> in college or something like that. We'll go write a press release. But once you do it, you're just like, hey, there's not too much to this. It's not fine writing. It, you don't have to be a wordsmith to put together a really good press release. 
I'm so glad you said that because that's one of the objections I reckon I would hear from people is like, I'm just not a natural writer. I don't know exactly how to put it into words. I mean, it's like anything. If you've got, say, a guideline to follow and you get to practice at it, you get better over at it over the long run, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. You have so many great insights, Mickey. And I just, oh, I'm so glad you're here today because it's really given me a feeling of there are so many different ways that you can run a business and grow a business. And to hear different examples of people who are like, yep, this is exactly how I started. This is kind of the pathway I followed. And it was actually really nice to know that this is going to sound like I'm saying it the wrong way. It's nice to know that you did that steady, slow growth and still succeeded as opposed to all the stories where people go, I made a hundred K in like 10 days or I hit a million dollars within two years. Cause I feel like when I hear those, they're cool stories, but I feel like that's out of reach for a lot of us. Right. So to hear somebody say, yep, we had a good business model. We learned along the way it became successful and you know, we have typical hurdles and handle them as we go. That's that's really nice. I think that's good for the business owners who are living that experience at the very start right now. So yeah, very Great. inspiring. Thank you. Great. And one of the things that is really nice about a low ticket offer is uh, you can afford to lose your biggest customer. Like uh, my biggest customer represents less than 1% of my revenue. So if I lost two or three of my biggest customers, it wouldn't affect the bottom line at all. Uh, where if you're in a highly consultative high ticket and you lose two or three of your best customers, it can really impact things quickly. Yeah. All of a sudden you can't pay the bills anymore. Whereas if you're doing low ticket, you lose somebody and you're like, well, I've got to go find another person, but it's not the end of the world. You're not sending people home going, sorry, you can't feed your family. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. And I know you've got a free video masterclass on how to create a winning PR strategy. So for my listeners who are like, PR, that does sound good. I have nowhere, no idea where to start. Is it cool with you if we share that with everybody? Absolutely. It's at ereleases.com slash plan, P-L-A-N. And it's completely free and it goes through the strategies that uh, my most successful customers use again and again to get media pickup. Uh, I have one that only does surveys and studies. And, uh, you know, every time they do a press release about a survey or study that they've conducted, they usually get between eight and 14 articles. And these are, you know, original earned media articles that are a journalist has written uh, from the ground up based off the press release and the results that the survey had. And it's really just a a fantastic way to get uh, attention and to stand out. Yeah, that's really impressive because you tend to think, oh, I'll do one thing and then I'll be lucky if I get one article. But actually, no, you can get a lot of traction with that, can't you? Yeah. I mean, I know people who said that they've done six month campaigns with PR firms and got no earned media or maybe just one local newspaper. And, you know, and they spent twenty, thirty thousand dollars. Uh and yeah, and yet I, I have a, you know, this formula that basically goes through, I swear, if you do six to eight of these press releases, you will get earned media from it. And I've actually put out there that if you do six releases following this and you don't get earned media, let me know. And you can do additional releases until you get earned media completely free. I've never had anyone take me up on it. Because it's worked so well for them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good sign. <laughs> right. 
That's fantastic. All right. So I'll make sure we leave a link in the show notes too. So it's nice and easy for people to click on it. And if they want to find out more from you, Mickey, or from your team, where's the best place for them to find you? Should they go to the website or is social media a better option? Where would you direct? Um, the website, ereleases.com. We have chat. We have a uh, phone uh, where you can call. Uh, there's also email, however you prefer interacting with us. Uh, and you'll only... Uh, interact with editors, no salespeople. So uh, there's no commissions or trying to push people into buying or anything like that. We're pretty candid if we feel like a press release could be a good fit for your company. And we walk people through their first press release and PR campaign all the time. Oh, lovely. Thank you. That makes it nice and easy for people. So so it's nice to have kind of a hand-holding feeling, like you're not doing it all on your own. You've got people who have done it before and are comfortable guiding you through it. So yeah, that'll be really good. Thank you so much for being here today. I've really loved this chat and I feel like I got so much out of it in just, what, half an hour? So that was amazing. I hope everybody listening today enjoyed the conversation as much as I have and I will see you all in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Simpler Business Podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. There's a link in the show notes to make it nice and easy for you, just the way we like it. If you're ready to simplify and scale your business, you can get started with my free audio class at marissaroberts.com. See you next time.